Troy, did you want, want to make an announcement on this? <laughs> That's three weeks old from that go. Well, what we know is that, uh, if you didn't hear all the information, is that Ken Stoner was in the elevator at the church, and he collapsed, and they tried to revive him. They could not revive him. They brought in the paramedics. They couldn't revive him. Took him to the hospital. At about uh, 10.50 or so, I think Buddy Angel gave me a call, uh, told me what had happened. Were you at the hospital at that time? Correct. And uh, while he was on the phone with me, he said that they just came out and said that Ken Stoner did not make it. At that exact moment, Joyce and the family were walking in. There was you know, chaos there for a few moments. And so uh, <clears throat> what do we know about the services? I know that the service at the church is going to be at 2 o'clock on Tuesday. Uh, our class is going to feed the, the family and uh, close guest at 1230. Uh, uh, what is the situation on that thing? Do you know who was invited to that? Uh, family and a few out-of-town friends. Family and a few out-of-town well, friends. So it's not for us. We're people. not there to eat. We were, no, we're but if we want to serve, they can talk well, to you about the possibility right. of that, right? Uh, how about visitation? Does anybody have any word on that? It's Monday night. Monday night at the funeral From home? six to eight six. at the funeral home in, in Sunnyvale. Okay, if you didn't hear that, it's uh, six to eight Monday night at the funeral home. Sunnyvale. That's uh, the 30-80 split. You take the 80 split east and you'll see the funeral home, I believe, on your right. Uh, you know, Ken was a very interesting person because he never really retired. Now, he just had a birthday. I don't know how old he was. 81. I said how old? 81, wasn't it? 81. Yeah. And uh, he never retired and he did things that most people don't want to do in ministry. And that's visitation. Uh, he probably visited more than anybody than that entire staff combined. Uh, I don't like to visit people in hospitals. That's not a fun thing to do. Uh, but he saw that as his ministry. And his entire adult life was spent in ministry. It wasn't a day in his entire adult life once he was trained at seminary that he did anything other than ministry. And he never stopped. He didn't say, okay, now I'm going to go and do this for the next 20 years. He just ministered. And Lynn was talking to our daughter-in-law, Allison, uh, the other night. And uh, Allison said, you know, when we had our baby, Ken was there. She said, I didn't even know it at that time. But it was sort of strange, but it was fun. She said he sat there and talked. It was sort of fun. Uh, so uh, I know as a result of being in the ministry a lifetime that people will remember a visit when they long forget a sermon. I used to pride myself on the fact that I could preach well until I, people started saying, yeah, but before you became the minister of our church, we had a minister back 20 years ago, and he visited my grandmother when she was in the hospital. And you didn't visit. <laughs> and uh, it showed me that what touches people are events that have to deal with relationships. And when you relate to people and you sit on their bed or sit next to them and talk to them for 20 or 30 minutes, that makes an impact. Uh, much more than the sermon. And I learned that a long time ago. That's just like a doctor. You go into a doctor, you can be a doctor, you can figure out what your problem is and give you medicine, you appreciate it, but how about those doctors that spend 20 minutes with you? 
you know, have a good bedside manner. So Ken had a really unique ministry, and I want you to know he's going to be missed at this church far more than anybody ever realizes. You know, I don't know. Uh, oftentimes, you, know, you take people like Ken for for granted because they don't have a real public ministry, but they're doing it out there. And uh, you're gonna, we're gonna miss him in this class. And uh, I know the church as a whole is really going to miss miss him, and it's going to be uh, a lot more work Alan, for the rest of the staff. Alan Lynch for having to try to fill in everything that Ken did. So anyway. <clears throat> Uh, where's Dr. Davis? Are you here? Dr. Davis, why don't you come on up and pray for the family? Would you do that? Dr. Davis is another man who's very important in this church. Uh, he used to teach at Criswell College. I remember back in 1988, I had uh, decided I was going to plant a church, and the week I was ready to leave school, I got sick and I ended up in the hospital. I called it my $8,000 weekend. <laughs> Today would have been a lot more. Dr. Uh, George Davis came and visited me. I'll never forget that and prayed for me. Thought I might have to have open heart surgery or something. It was nothing like that. It was a golf injury. Okay, Dr. Uh, George Davis, uh, why don't you just pray? I'll give you this little thing here and just pray for it. All right. Father, as we come to you, we would be remiss if we did not thank you for Brother Ken and Miss Joyce and how their uh, lives have touched so many people and how they have been committed to you and been committed to every church of which they have been a part. And as we think about Tuesday and the memorial service, uh, Lord, uh, we do want it to pay proper tribute to you uh, and glorify you as well as... Uh, recognizing the ministry of uh, Brother Stoner. And Father, uh, we would lift up Miss Joyce at, at this time and uh, just pray that you would give the family extreme wisdom in knowing uh, how best to uh, meet her needs in the days which are out ahead. And uh, Lord, uh, they're the children and uh, the grandchildren, the larger family. There are people in New Mexico who feel that they have lost a family member as well. We just pray you watch care over all who will be traveling uh, for the services here. And we just want all of this to honor and glorify you, Lord. So you be with each one who has a part in the service. And uh, we would ask your blessings now upon Brother Allen as he opens your word and uh, shares your word with us. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try to get hooked up one more time. Please forgive this inconvenience. If you're visiting with us today, we're sorry that you came on a sad day, but we hope that when we open the Bible, God will speak to you and bless your heart. So let's take our Bibles and open to uh, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We're going verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. And the best thing about going through a book of the Bible verse by verse is that you're always dealing with the passage in context. 
you know what surrounds that passage. And so you're not just pulling a text out one week and preaching on it and without understanding the context and the verses that surround it. And what we saw last week is that after pronouncing six woes on the Pharisees and the scribes, basically because of their lack of inner character, he said, you're full of darkness. You're greedy people. You don't show it, but that's how you really are. That's what's on the inside. And pronouncing the woes upon them because of their persecution of God's spoken people. Just like their fathers persecuted the prophets, so these people uh, persecute God's spokesmen as well. Uh, Jesus now warns his disciples, and that would include us, not to imitate that kind of behavior. Be different. Okay? So let's pick up at chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, in the meantime, that means after he was talking uh, to the Pharisees and the scribes, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now this setting is a remarkable setting because what you have here is what we would call a human stampede. Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem, and as he moves toward Jerusalem and toward that cross, the crowds swell. And by virtue of their size, they become dangerous. And people begin to trip over each other, and they're probably, when you have that phrase, notice that phrase, they trampled one another. It means human tragedy. Now, Mark's not, or Luke's not going to focus on the injuries, which is very interesting. He's going to focus on the teaching. But what we have here is we have a human stampede. It would be like a, a scene at a rock concert. And you know how that could happen, where everyone is sort of moving in unison, but then one person trips. Or at a sporting event, where there are great crowds that are rushing into a stadium. And then one person trips, and when one person trips and falls, then they all fall, and there is tragedy. Uh, probably twice a year we see on television some human stampede. One happened just recently, didn't it? I think uh, maybe at the opening of the Olympics, people were coming down an elevator. Who saw that? Was that at the Olympics? And the elevator suddenly stopped, and when it did, there was injury. And that was what we had, because the crowd was so close together... They were pressing together, and by virtue of their size, if anything just gets out of kilter, then there is human tragedy. And so, uh, it's interesting to me, when I meditate on a passage like this, and I think about the passage, I think Jesus was in the middle of a human stampede. And, uh, in fact, he caused it in the sense that it was his popularity that caused all the people to come. Can you imagine how he felt when this happened? Luke doesn't tell us that. But to think that you were in the middle of it and probably responsible in some way, that's going to take its toll. Uh, I remember the story of Charles Spurgeon. When he was speaking, I believe, at the Crystal Palace, which was a tremendous structure in London, England. Uh, our, uh, what's that place down in the middle? Huh? Infomark. Infomark is uh, patterned after it. Looks like, if you want to know what it was like, it was like the Infomark from the outside. But inside was a tremendous structure that held 14,000 people. And someone cried fire while Spurgeon was preaching. 
and uh, something like six or 12 people were trampled to death. Spurgeon uh, writes that he never got over that. And uh, here's Jesus in the middle of this human tragedy. We have no indication of how he felt. But it must have devastated him. But Luke <clears throat> tells us what Jesus said. Jesus instructs his disciples, and he says to them, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. <clears throat> now, the reason I think Luke... Uh, tells us about this and describes the scene is because the setting and the statement have something in common. You have a crowd that swells. And guess what leaven does? It grows. It swells. And so that's what I think is happening here. I think this is why Luke uh, decides to tell you about the tragedy, even though he doesn't tell you about Jesus' feelings, is because he's going to relate... Uh, he, he thinks that his readers will see that relationship. So as the crowd swells, so does leaven swell. And Jesus says, therefore, guess what? Beware. Watch out. Hey, when I'm in a crowd like that, don't you watch out? I do. And now he says, guess what? And likewise, you have to watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. Because it's growing, it's swelling, it's getting big, bigger. Be on guard. Troubles ahead. Be careful. Okay? Because this movement against Jesus is swelling as well. And the leaven of the Pharisees is swelling. Now look how he describes the leaven of the Pharisees. Which is hypocrisy. Which is hypocrisy. A word that means to hide behind a mask. Uh, that's what the Pharisees were. They acted one way outwardly, but guess what? Their outward actions masked what was on the inside. Now, last week we discovered what was on the inside. He said, first of all, you're full of darkness, and he described what was in there. What was it? Anybody remember? Greed. Remember that? Greed, self-centeredness, all these things, and they were masking that. And he says hypocrisy is on the move, and it's growing, and watch out for it because leaven, it penetrates. And this is the amazing thing. It's like yeast. It penetrates and it does its work uh, in secret. You put the yeast in the dough. You don't see the yeast. It's concealed. But guess what? It's doing its job. And the dough is swelling. And the dough is getting larger. And all of that is being done in secret. And that's what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is things that are done secretly. And these people are hypocrites. It hides behind a mask. So Jesus warns them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now what does he mean by that? First of all, watch out that you're not taken in by Pharisees. They'll say one thing to you, it sounds pretty good, but guess what? That's not what they mean at all inside. They're liars. They are masked, they're hiding behind the mask. They're masking their true inner selves, their true intentions and their motives. Watch out, don't get taken in by them, but also watch out that you don't become like them. And if I had to put the emphasis on it, I think that that's where the emphasis Watch out that you don't become a hypocrite. Now look at verse 2. You still with me? Gives us a reason. Because, or for, there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, 
There's nothing hidden that will not be known. If you become a hypocrite, you're going to be discovered. There'll come a time when that mask is ripped right off of you and everyone will see you for what you are. Just a hypocrite. And if you're taking it in and you side with hypocrites, thinking they're sincere, one day they will be exposed and you will see that you've been taken in by them. Now, when is that exposure going to take place? Uh, Jesus will indicate that the exposure will take place at the judgment. That's when everything that's hidden will be revealed. And so your present affects your future. If you're a hypocrite now... In the future, it will be exposed. If you're true and transparent now, in the future, at the judgment, that will be exposed. Everything will be exposed. Now he applies it. Look at verse 3. Therefore, see, there's the application. Therefore, whatever... Oh, what's the next word? <clears throat> you. See how he's doing this? Now he's going to apply to his disciples. He's going to apply to us. Watch out. Beware of the hypocrites. Don't be like them. Don't allow that leaven to enter your system. Because it will be exposed. Verse 3. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear that's whispers in inner rooms. Today we call it smoke-filled rooms. Right? Will be proclaimed on the housetops. So notice the you there, the warning is that we don't end up being like the hypocrites. And therefore, he gives us that command, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, command number two. Look at verse four. Verse four. And I say to you, my friends, here's the second command. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. So now, he warns against persecution and how you should respond to persecution. He says, if you're persecuted for your faith, or people threaten to kill you. Now, are the Pharisees trying to kill Jesus? Yes, they are. They're already plotting to do that. See, and he says, and that will happen in the future. It won't only happen to me, it'll happen to you. And here's the command. If that happens, don't fear those people. And then he says, why not to fear the people? Don't fear people who can destroy your body. And then that next phrase is very interesting. And after that, they can't do anything. All they can do is destroy your body. But there's nothing they can do after that. Now, they can silence you. They can put you to death. But that's all they can do. Uh, is that all they can do to Jesus? That was all they could do. Now, I want you to know something. After that, there's a lot that God could do. Right? But after that, that's all the persecutors could do. So don't fear those people. That's the command. Now, look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. But I will show you whom you should fear. 
Fear him who, what? After. So that's, you're supposed to fear the person who do something after death. Okay? Fear him. Here's the only person you're to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Now, one of my pet peeves, as you know, is saying that fear means what? Fear doesn't mean, doesn't mean have respect. Doesn't mean have respect. What does it mean? Fear. Fear. Fathers, from which we get our word phobia. That's not respect. That's fear. Don't fear him that can destroy your body. Fear him that can... After you've died, cast you into hell. That's more than respect. That's fear. You should shudder at the fact that God could cast a person into hell, and he could cast you into hell. Amen. Well, why would he do that? Well, I guess if you join the league with the hypocrites. So that's who you should fear. Fear him. See, it doesn't say, if fear means fear, in this verse, then it meant fear in verse 4. Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, in verse 4 he says, Don't be respectful of those who can kill the body. Is that what it means? No, it doesn't mean that at all. So fear means fear, okay? So the one that we're to fear is the one who can judge us. Now notice what he says in verse 5. After he is killed as the power... And that's the thing they don't have. They have no power after you're dead, but God does. He has the power... <laughs> To cast a person into hell or Gehenna. <laughs> Gehenna. Which was the valley of Hinnom where in the Old Testament children were sacrificed to false gods. And by Jesus' day, located south of Jerusalem, it became the garbage dump where garbage was dumped and the fire was going on, was burning 24 hours a day. And it's a picture of hell. So whom should we fear? We should fear the person who can do something to us after death, not the person who can just put us to death. And there's only one person, therefore, to fear, and that's God. Now, he's going to give us the logic behind that. <clears throat> Look at verse 6, and he gives an illustration. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And the answer is yes. Okay. Uh, what are two copper coins? Maybe... Maybe the King James says two a penny, something like that. Uh, first of all, sparrows were the food of poor people. <coughs> if you needed to eat and you were poor, you wouldn't have bought sparrows. Sparrows to eat. Uh, two, two pennies or two pieces of copper was one sixteenth of a denarius. One denarius was one day's wage. This is one sixteenth of one day's wage. So if we worked eight hours a day, one-sixteenth would be a half hour's work for poor people. <laughs> half hour at minimum wage. Three-fifty. About. Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's what kind of meal this is. Now watch this. Now guess what? Kentucky Fried Chicken doesn't come that way. There's actually a live bird before you eat your chicken. Did you know that? Now, it really is. The colonel didn't come up with the dish 
there was actually an animal involved. Now, here's what he said. Are, are not five sparrows, the kind of food that you would eat at KFC, sold for three fifty? And the answer is, yeah, that's right. That's the food of poor people. Okay. Now look what he said. Not one of them, not one of those sparrows is forgotten before God. God is aware even of the little sparrow that is captured and killed and eaten at a poor person's table. God is aware of that. He doesn't forget them. Now, that means he's omniscient. God knows everything, even about the little chickens that are used in the Kentucky Fried Chicken recipe. Now, if he's aware of their circumstance, he won't forget you when you're languishing in jail, not denying Jesus as your Savior, because you don't fear those people. He is aware of you being in jail. Now, notice, he doesn't stop the chicken from getting its head cut off. It's going to be sold, and it's going to be eaten. But he's aware of it. And if you end up put in jail for your faith, and even if you face death, he's aware of it. Now that's important. Because your persecutors, they've done all they can do. They've killed you. But after that, what can they do? Nothing. You've been put to death. God's aware of it. After that, what can he do? He can raise you back to life. Just like he did Jesus. And when will he do that? He does that at the consummation, at the end of the age, at the second coming, when he judges. And that's what he's going to tell us. Does that make sense to you? This is Luke's argument. It's so important. Now look what he says in the middle of verse... Look what he says uh, at the beginning of verse 7. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Not only is he aware of a bird when it falls, he knows how many hairs you have on your head. Now, again, this is just another way of saying that God's omniscient. He knows what you don't know. I don't know every time a sparrow falls, but guess what? He does. He doesn't stop it from falling, but he knows when it falls. And he knows something that I know, don't know. I don't know how many hairs I have on my head. And if I counted, I'd get mixed up, and I would skip a few. Wouldn't you? But God knows every hair on your head. Nothing escapes his attention, and he'll use it for his own purposes. Now look at the end of verse 7. He says, do not fear. Therefore, that means your persecutors. Don't fear, therefore. See, that goes back to verse 4. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. So now he's going to end this little section that same way. Don't fear, therefore, you are more of more value than sparrows. So when he says don't fear, therefore, he says don't be worried. Even if they do arrest you, don't be worried. See? Because God's aware of you, and even if they would kill you, that's all they can do. After that, they can do nothing else. God can do a lot after that. Amen. See, even death isn't the end for you. So here, this week, Ken Stoner gets in an elevator and he dies. And the medics 
he dies, and guess what? After that, what could the medics do? What could Baylor Hospital do after that? Nothing. God was aware when he fell in that elevator, when he collapsed. And after that, what can God do? Anything he wants. And one thing he guarantees to do, raise us from the dead. See, that's the Christian message. If you get that, death will never scare you. If you get that, you'll never be afraid of what people can do to you. Because all they can do is kill your body. God can raise it back from the dead. Does that make sense? Okay, now let's look at this next verse. Verse 8. Again, he gives us another illustration. deals with logic. Verse 8. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, and the implication is when you are brought before men, not just like witnessing on the job. Whoever confesses me before men, him, the Son of Man, also will confess before the angels in heaven. Now what we have here is we have a picture of two court cases. Court case number one, earthly. Court case number two, heavenly. Court case number one, temporal, before human beings. Court case number two, eternal, before God himself. Court case number one, the earthly court. You're accused of being a Christian. Deny Christ. And I don't. I confess him before men. Yes, but we'll kill you. Oh, but Jesus just told me. Don't worry about that. Don't be afraid of them. I'm not going to deny Christ. I confess him before men in that court case. Jesus says if you do that, when you come to that next judgment scene, at the second coming, the Son of Man will confess you before your, the angels of heaven. And you'll be declared not guilty. They say guilty. Jesus says not guilty. Raise you from the dead. You have eternal life. See, that's the picture that we have right here. It's a great picture. Justice is done. Justice might not be done in this lifetime, but it will be done in the lifetime to come. Look at verse 9. But he who denies me before men, again in that court case, will be denied before the angels in heaven, which simply means the Son of Man will deny you. So here's the court case. This guy says, if you don't deny Jesus Christ, I'm going to kill you. I start shuddering my boots. I don't want to die. What's going to happen to my family? I won't be teaching the president's class next week. I won't be around all my friends. So I deny, okay, I deny him in order to spare my life because I'm afraid to die. He says, well, great. You got your life spared here. But when you come to that next courtroom, I will declare you guilty. And I will deny you and say he's not one of mine. And then guess where you go? Gehenna. So what he's doing, he's giving us illustrations, court cases. Does this make sense? So it's very important. Now look at verse 10. And anyone... Now, this is sort of interesting. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Now, what does this mean? Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven him. We just saw, it sounds like it contradicts verse 9. Verse 9, it says, if you deny me, you'll be judged. But what does it say here in verse 10? If you speak a word against the Son of Man, it'll be what? Forgiven. Now, which is it? Are you judged or are you forgiven? Now, it sounds like a contradiction, but I don't think Luke would contradict himself, say one thing in one verse, and the very next verse say the opposite. 
So he had to mean something else. And I think the key is in verse 10, the word anyone. Anyone. Up until that time, he was talking about his disciples watching out that they don't become hypocrites. But I think he's saying, you know, there are a lot of people that are out there that are speaking against Jesus. They're part of the crowd. They will turn on a dime during Passion Week. The people who yelled, Hosanna, Hosanna, at the beginning of the week will be crying, crucify, crucify. But they're doing it in ignorance. These are lost people who are just doing it in ignorance. That kind of person can be forgiven. That's why he said, as he hung on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they what? Know not what they did. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 3, it talks about Peter saying that uh, God forgives those who have done things out of ignorance. Paul on Mars Hill says, God, he says, in times past, he said, you have done things out of ignorance, and God will forgive Therefore, repent. So God will forgive if you deny Christ out of ignorance. But how about us who know the truth? Well, that's a different story. And that's why I think he has the end of that verse there. Just the average person who out of ignorance denies the Son of Man, guess what? That person can be forgiven. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. What happens to that person? Not forgiven. So he's making a distinction between just anybody does something out of ignorance. Hey, I blasphemed Jesus when I was lost. Every day, probably every hour. But you know what? I found forgiveness. But how about if you're a follower of his? And the Holy Spirit has shown you that through revelation. And now you deny that revelation of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, Jesus is Lord, and you know it. And you've actually joined the church, and you've been baptized. And then you slander the Holy Spirit and by saying, ah, he's not my Lord. And then, at that point, there's no forgiveness. Hebrews talks about that. People who have committed apostasy, and they will not be granted an opportunity to repent a second time. So that indeed is a possibility. That's a hard verse right there. Now look at verse 11. Verse 11. Now, when they bring you, notice there's the you, to the synagogues, that means to be judged, to the magistrates, they are the, the official judges in secular court, and to authorities, probably Roman leaders, do not worry. See, there's the command. Do not worry. Don't worry about what? How or what you should answer. Meaning in that court scene. Or what you should say. So, if they do haul you to the courts, and they threaten to kill you, and you know that that's going to happen, your court day's tomorrow, don't worry how you're going to deal with it. That's what he said. Don't worry about how you're going to deal with it. How should I deal with this? Should I try to cut a deal? Should I plea bargain? How should I do this? Don't worry about that. Don't worry what you should say. Well, how about if I say the wrong thing? I better be very careful. Maybe I should write this thing out, what I'm going to say. Don't worry about that when they bring you before the courts. That's basically what he's saying. Okay? So that's a command. 
Why not? Look at verse 12. Because the Holy Spirit, there's that spirit again, you see, will teach you in that very hour, at that moment when you need to know, not before, in that moment when you need to know, he will teach you what you ought to say. Very important word. I like the King James word, the New King James, what you ought to say, what you are obligated to say, what you're morally obligated to say. In that situation, what should I say? The Holy Spirit will show you when you stand up there what you should say. And I know one thing that you shouldn't say, deny Jesus, because then you will be blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You won't be saying what he wants you to say. You say, I don't care what you want me to say. So, we have to trust the Holy Spirit. He will empower you. He will give you clarity of mind. He will give you wisdom for that occasion. So, we are called, in that situation, not to worry, but to rely on divine resources in that situation. Now, take your Bible and turn over to Luke 21, because we see a very similar thing a little later on in the Gospel. Luke chapter 21. <clears throat> This is basically a repeat of what Jesus has just said. And let's look at verse 12. Luke 21 and verse 12. Here's what Jesus says. But before all these things, before this great tribulation and earthquakes and all those kinds of things, they will lay their hands on you and they will persecute you. Does this sound familiar? Delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an opportunity for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your heart not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. And so this is a parallel passage, and I believe this is what the gift of wisdom is. When the Bible talks about a gift of wisdom, all kinds of gifts, one's the gift of wisdom. I think that's it. He gives you a word when it's time in a situation like this that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a revelation or inspiration. I don't like to use those words, but you know what I mean. Uh, comes from the Holy Spirit, and it's wise, and they can't contradict it. Now, they might be able to kill you, but they can't resist the word. And it's an opportunity for you to give a testimony. We see this in the book of Acts over and over again, where Peter and John are hauled in before the Sanhedrin, or before some court. And when they're brought before them, these guys speak wisdom. And they realize it, and they scratch their heads. The judges and the Sanhedrin scratch their heads and say, what are we going to do? And uh, they often let them go, and some die and some are let go. But what we see is that their wisdom outshines the wisdom of the opposition. So, if you're ever in a situation like that, you depend upon the Holy Spirit and he will show you what to do. However, if you resist the Holy Spirit and you deny Christ in that situation, because you'll be just like the hypocrites. You said, Jesus, 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 all your life. But inside, guess what you were? Dark. Lost. You've been hiding behind that mask. 
things. And your true nature will be stripped off of that court case. And you'll deny Christ. And you'll be exposed for what you are, an apostate, a renegade, not a real believer of Jesus. However, if you are a real believer of Jesus, and you're brought in that situation, and you just stand up there and be yourself, and be transparent and true to the Lord in that situation, the Holy Spirit will show you what to say. And at the judgment, Christ will confess you before the angels in heaven. Does that make sense? Okay, let me give you three quick lessons right here. Number one, let's make sure we avoid hypocrisy. We must make certain that we never compromise no matter what. Okay? Uh, don't hide behind the mask. Always examine ourselves. Just like the pastor said today, he was examining himself when he was writing this passage. He said, am I a hypocrite? Have I not practiced what I'm preaching? <laughs> Let's make sure that we're not hiding behind masks and we're transparent. Okay, number two, never operate out of fear. I'll, I'll just give you a principle that I tell my children all the time, my students. Never make a decision based on fear. If I do this, but what will happen? Oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. this could... Hey, that's making a decision based on fear. Never operate on fear. You'll make wrong decisions every time. In this situation, you'll be pressured. Based on your fear, you'll be pressured to deny the Lord. Never operate on fear. And then, of course, the converse of that, lesson number three, always operate on faith. When we operate on faith, even at the point of death, even at the point of death, Say, Lord, it looks like they're going to cut my throat, and that's it. But I'm trusting you. They might kill you. And they might do it in some faraway place where no one even knows what's happened. We know during the Olympics this year, there have been people that just disappeared off the streets of China. Because they were protesting, and many of them were Christians, and they just swept them away. We may never hear from them again not know what happened to them, but guess what? God's aware of it. And after this, raised and vindicated. Amen. Jesus faced his persecutors. Pilate says, don't you know I have the power to let you go if I want to? Jesus just stood there like a lamb, it says. They killed him. And after that, they could do nothing else. But guess what? Three days later, God raised him from the dead. Ken Stoner died last week. God may raise him from the dead tomorrow. It all may be over tomorrow. God may say, it's curtain time, friend. It could be three days later that God will raise him. It may be 3,000 years from now. We don't know. But guess what? We have the assurance that we'll all be raised from the dead. We'll all be declared not guilty. God will vindicate us. He'll welcome us at this game. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of Ken Stoner, who quietly went about his ministry, often going to hospitals 5 o'clock in the morning unrecognized. But you, you were aware of that. You are were aware of everything that we do. We're more important than the birds of the air. And Lord, you are aware of all the great things we do that no one else sees the positive things, the negative things. Help us to be true. Help us to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisee that creeps in, swells us up, causes us to be something that we don't want to be. Help us, Lord, to be people that operate not on fear, 
and of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.